Greetings and salutations, golf fans, and welcome back to another episode of Highly Technical Golf Talk here on the Golf Guide Podcast. Uh, and this episode is proudly presented to you by Volume 23 of Pacific Coast Golf Guide Magazine, uh, the number one golf course directory magazine serving the states of California, Nevada, Oregon, Washington, and the beautiful and sunny state of Hawaii. And by the way, been working on that pronunciation for a while, so you are welcome. Um, yeah, guys, uh, for the past 22 years, uh, Golf Guide Magazine has always been typically delivered to over 1,400 golf courses across the West Coast where golfers could pick one up for free and learn all about you know the golf courses in their area and along the rest of the region. Uh, but because of the COVID-19 pandemic, we have obviously been unable uh, to deliver all these magazines to uh, the many golf courses that you guys like to play throughout the West Coast. And so until that time, if you can't wait to get your hands on a new copy of the magazine, uh, we invite you to go visit golfguide.net, go to info and products from the top, and there you can make a donation to the Golf Guide COVID Relief Fund. Five bucks uh, in a donation will get you a brand new copy of the magazine, and your money will go towards charitable places like keeping Glen Eagles Golf Course in San Francisco open, and the Bandon Caddy Relief Fund. So uh, if you guys want to get a brand new magazine and uh, put a couple bucks towards a good cause, uh, I think that is a fantastic uh, way for not only us to get the magazine into your hands, but also for uh, for you guys to be able to help out um, some golf organizations in need uh, during this time. So uh, let's, not, uh, let's not mess around anymore. We've got a great podcast for you today. Uh, Garrett Morrison from the Friday is here to discuss an article that he wrote for Pacific Coast Golf Guide's Volume 23 edition that I have uh, been mentioning for the past minute, uh, where he details some of his favorite places on the West Coast uh, to visit for uh, interesting and architecturally significant golf. Um, and it was a lot of fun. You know, this was uh, obviously written and commissioned before uh, the pandemic, you know, took place. So uh, we, we wrote this assuming that you could travel. Uh, with friends and go to visit new places. So let's just, uh, this is going to be a great way to get you excited for that time where we finally can get back out of the house and go travel to play some wonderful golf uh, with some good friends. So hopefully this will get you guys excited. It certainly did that for me. So without any further delay, let's get to Garrett here on another episode of Highly Technical Golf Talk. Oh. Oh, shit. Fuck. Shit, these are highly technical golf terms. You'll use them on your very first lesson. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome back to the program. I am delighted to have a return guest uh, for this episode. He is the managing editor of The Fried Egg. Uh, he is a golf course uh, aficionado who I consider to be a, an excellent uh, source and authority on you know finding really fun uh, places to play golf. And that, of course, is... Uh, I think I call it my friend, uh, Garrett Morrison. Garrett, uh, it is a pleasure to have you back, my friend. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Garrett, the, the reason that we're uh, we're getting together today in the middle of the, you know, of a global pandemic um, <laughs> is, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about an article that you had wrote for um, this year's edition of Pacific Coast Golf Guide uh, that was titled, I think, Affordable, Accessible Golf Destinations for Golf Architecture Geeks slash Fans, if uh, you're offended by the word geek, I uh, apologize but it's it, it, in 2020 being a geek is very hip so don't, don't... I, I embrace it yeah <laughs> um but yeah I, I just thought it was really fascinating and you know kind of the <laughs> the inspiration for this article garrett was one of selfish uh selfishness because for me i was thinking you know if i had the ability to talk to someone like garrett who you know for you know his job he's out there studying great 
you know, strategically, you know, strategy filled golf courses and, you know, makes it a point to share his information with the golfing public so they can better enjoy the game. And I was like, if I got to ask someone like Garrett, hey, g- give me a couple of the places that would just be really awesome for me and a group of friends to go where we can play really great golf. And, you know, a lot of friends that I have, Garrett, um, you know, a lot of my golfing buddies anyway are still kind of in their mid to late 20s. And so they're they're, they're on a little bit more of a budget than some of the uh, the older golf buddies that I have. And I was like, well, what, is it even possible to go play really strategically interesting golf courses at a fair rate? And is there any places where there's actually a variety of those that we could maybe, you know, mold a weekend around? And um, once I share this with you, you without even hesitating, you're like, oh, yeah, I could I could definitely do that. So I, I just kind of want to talk a little about your article and sort of just pick your brain um, and kind of what you maybe what were some of your initial thoughts when you were propositioned with uh, with putting this together? Well, you know, I probably wasn't as confident as I sounded in my response to your initial request because the first destination that immediately came to mind for me on the West Coast for affordable, interesting golf was one that I had written about before, Ventura County. And that one I certainly recommend to anybody who's looking for that combination of factors in a golf experience. But I wasn't totally sure which other destinations I would write about. Ultimately, I chose to focus on the Oregon coast and then on the San Diego area, both of which are unique places that have some of their, you know, some some drawbacks and some advantages of their own and, you know, are, are not as sort of automatic for me for this article as Ventura County was, but those were the destinations I uh, eventually settled on. So I guess my first thought in in response to your request was, okay, where else can, uh, can I find a collection of really interesting, affordable courses on the West coast where, you know, cause I know there are a variety of courses in a variety of places that fit those criteria on the West coast. There are a ton of them, but it's not often that you find a concentration of them in a certain region where you can just go there and sort of reasonably stay in one place or stay in a couple of different places in the course of a road trip and play a bunch of courses of this type. That's just not kind of what the, what the West coast is for golf right now. You know, you, you have a lot of places where you can play great private golf and you can have, uh, you have a lot of places where you can play expensive upscale public golf. That's also great. And you can find places where there's a mixture of all of that stuff, but but not many where there's a real focus on affordable and architecturally rich golf. So that's that's was my kind of first area of research. Yeah. And it's uh, I, I don't know to you. Does that speak or does that say anything about the state of golf in that, you know, that there's just not that many places, at least in our, in our region of the country where there is, you know, more than one or two uh, affordable, you know, uh, you know, kind of, I, I don't want to keep saying like strategic golf courses, but I mean, for for the sake of this podcast, we'll just say interesting golf courses um, that are affordable in, in the same area. I mean, does, is that something that you see as being kind of an issue or, or something that needs to get remedied or hopefully fixed uh, by golf developers and golfers over the next decade or two? I think it's an issue for a lot of different places. I do think on the West Coast, generally, just things are expensive, and that includes golf. Mm-hmm. And that's an issue generally not just for golf, but for, for a lot of things, but certainly that, that, um, the cost of living finds its way into the green fees that we pay. Now, you know, of course it's always a, an, an area of interest for me to search for places that have, where there are golf courses that 
I really like and think are interesting architecturally and have a cheap green fee. But there are plenty of courses on the West Coast that just are, are cheap, right, and are public and are accessible mm-hmm. that I, I wouldn't necessarily take an interest in from a design perspective, but a lot of other people would. Or a lot of other people would just say, I don't really care about design. I just care that this place is the right price and it's a fun place to go. It's welcoming or it has some other kind of advantage that uh, or benefit that um, that they like. And so uh, this is all very subjective for me. And, and so I hesitate to make a kind of general diagnosis of the West Coast because certainly there will be people who's, who would say this isn't an issue. You know, I have plenty of places that I like to go that are affordable. But, um, yeah, I mean, if, if I'm speaking just from my, my own uh, opinion, it is pretty rare to find that combination of factors at a golf course that we're talking about on the West Coast. But it's there. You know, those courses are there. And sometimes they're not the courses that you would expect. Right. And, and for anybody out there, um, if, if you have not been fortunate enough to um, get, get a copy of Volume 23 of Pacific Coast Golf Guide yet, um, you can certainly go to the golfguide.net website and uh, we, we can get one sent out to you. But uh, in your article, Garrett, you kind of, you know, when you're trying to, you know, communicate to readers, you know, what exactly is it that would basically qualify a golf course to be part of this discussion, right? Um, you, you had a, a couple of really great questions that I've, you know, that, again, personally, I, I, I tend to agree with and I, I ask myself a lot of those same questions. Um, is, are, is that something that you wouldn't mind sharing with uh, the listener of this podcast? I, I have a magazine handy if you want me to uh, to give you a hand here, but... Um, Oh sure, I've got, I've got them right in front of me okay. right now. Cool, yeah, I, I, mean, I figured so you you, <laughs> you might ask for that. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. So, um, what what are those questions that you ask yourself, um, you know, in terms of is a golf course uh, worth it for you? Sure. So, question number one would be: Do the holes seem at home in the landscape and respect the spirit of the place, or do they clash with their surroundings? Number two, question number two would be. Does the routing lead you to the most compelling natural features of the property, whether views or landforms? Question three is after your round, how easily can you remember each hole? Number four, off the tee, do at least some of the holes give options for different lines of play? Are there hazards that create strategic dilemmas by guarding the best angles into greens? Number five, do green sites have a variety of shapes, contours, and hazard arrangements? And number six, above all, after you finish, do you feel the urge to go around again? And so these questions were just born out of uh, my desire to put into really clear terms what for me qualifies as an architecturally interesting course. These are the things that I prioritized. This is by no means a comprehensive system for evaluating a course. I, I wouldn't try to do that. Sure. These six questions are just the ones that I ask most often when I'm looking for a course that maybe doesn't necessarily have the best conditions, doesn't have the most luxurious playing surfaces, sure. but where, where I'm trying to identify whether the course has good bones, whether it's fun to play, whether there are design elements that create fun playing scenarios and and so that's what i really want out of a golf course i'm not a guy who really prioritizes luxurious conditions i'm somebody who looks for this kind of stuff and so these questions were my attempt to to boil that down into an easy six questions that you can just ask about any course now you know some courses you might really love and 
your answers to these questions for that course might not be particularly auspicious or some courses you might not like so much and, and they do fit these criteria. You know, that, that's, that's just the way golf courses are, you know, and, and the way people's reactions to golf courses are. It's, it's not predictable. There's no real way to systematize whether you like a golf course or not. Sometimes you just have a sense about it. Nonetheless, you know, uh, I, I, I like to try to explain what I'm looking for when I'm, uh, when I, when I'm looking for good architecture and, and what I mean when I say kind of interesting architecture or strategy, rich architecture or, you know, thoughtful design. Yeah, no, it, it's great. And, you know, reading those questions, uh, back over again, uh, it does make me uh, want to ask you one quick question. And that is, um, are, are you the type of guy where you remember all the holes of every course you play, or does it really take uh, like a special golf course for you to be able to actually go through and in your mind kind of replay your round hole by hole? <laughs> well, I think the special courses, I remember the holes better. I would say I, I am the type of person who remembers just about every hole. Okay. And the reason for that is not because I have a great memory. I, I forget all sorts of things that are important in my daily <laughs> life all the time. But I do remember the holes that I play because I'm in the habit after a round of golf of going back over the round and, and thinking about the holes again. You know, I usually do that after every round. It's not really an intentional thing. It's just what happens when I'm just driving home or, or whatever. I go back over the round and think about each of the holes in turn and, and just kind of relive the experience. And I do that kind of at regular intervals after a golf experience, especially a great golf experience that I have. And it's it's through that process that I end up remembering a lot of golf holes. Um, it's not because I have I have a good memory for it necessarily. So um, so yeah, I do I do remember holes, and and I find that at the courses that I that I really love or that I have a, have a good reaction to, after the round I tend to remember the holes a little more immediately because the holes are more distinct from each other. Yeah, I, I mean it's uh. It, 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 Part of the reason I ask is I, I feel like when I was younger, I used to remember every hole of every golf course I played. And as I've mm -hmm. gotten as I've gotten older, uh, it, it does seem like it, it takes more of a special golf course for me to have that same uh, recall that, that I used to have with every golf course. So I, I didn't know if that was just uh, uh, just limited to myself or if that was more of a, a common thing. But uh, maybe, yeah. maybe you maybe you just there there are more responsibilities in your life, so there's more more important stuff that you have to remember. Uh, Certainly, you, right. you know <laughs> whatever whatever occupies your brain at a given moment forces other stuff out, and um and and my brain just seems to have prioritized remembering golf holes. No, that's, <laughs> it's that, just that, that's, not not what I would recommend <laughs> for for people as no, a life hack. That's uh, fantastic. But, yeah, so it goes. Uh, oh man, so. Uh, in your article, Garrett, you, you basically, as you'd mentioned, you had kind of um, basically come to three different destinations that you thought would uh, be, be good for this article. They were Ventura County, like you had mentioned, which I, is it fair to say that when I asked you about, you know, this article and, and to think about doing it, Ventura County was the most obvious one that popped in or did totally. either of the other? Okay. Okay. So Ventura was the yeah. obvious one. Um, the other two were the Oregon Coast. And then uh, the third was San Diego County. Um, I guess my question to you is be did you find it difficult to limit it to three locations or did the, these three seem like they were pretty obviously you know standalone and they qualified for this sort of uh the, you know the criteria that i had set you you know saddled you with um yeah mm -hmm. were, were these three locations pretty much the ones or were there a bunch of other ones that you were considering where these three just kind of seemed to, to win out the day and had a little bit more benefit to them 
I think it's one of those things where I could have done two quite easily. I probably would have gone Ventura County and Oregon Coast Mm -hmm. because I I feel like those are probably the most underrated ones, especially when you take Bandon out of the equation of the Oregon Coast and Coast and focus on the other courses that are there. I don't think people know much about those other courses or know how good they are. So, um, so that one would have been one that was appealing to write about. It was tougher to find the third destination. I ended up settling on San Diego primarily because it's it just a common vacation destination. You just see there are a lot of articles out there from various publications that recommend a golf trip to San Diego and give you certain courses to play. Mm-hmm. And whenever I read those articles, I'm just kind of like, ah, it's not, it's, those aren't really the courses I would play. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, so it was appealing for me to write about it for that reason. Um, but in San Diego's category, there are plenty of urban areas on the West coast that would be kind of, I uh, kind of have equally rich collections of golf courses and golf course architecture. I could have written about, the Los Angeles area, though that's a tough one. Um, easily could have written about the Bay Area, about the just the immediate San Francisco area. Even you know the public courses there are just so historic and interesting. And um, could have written about Portland. Could have written about Seattle. So you know um, those those were all in the mix for that third spot. But ultimately, I went for San Diego because it really is kind of a, a vacation place, and there are a few courses there that I think are are pretty wonderful. Um, but uh, but so yeah, I mean, the two of these were were fairly obvious to me, and I could have easily written about you know six or seven because there are all those different urban areas that would have been equally in this equation. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Well, let's get into a little bit more nitty-gritty detail here uh, about some of the places that you wrote about. And let's just start with the one that, um, you know, we've identified as being the one that kind of uh, really, really hits all uh, all the check marks here, and that is Ventura County. Um, yeah. And, you know, so the courses that you highlighted in your article, Garrett, uh, included Rustic Canyon, uh, Buena Ventura, Olivas Links, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, and Soul sure. Park yes. Golf Course. And uh, what... Let's just kind of we can go through one by one. Uh, we can kind of just talk about them all generally. But so what what allowed you to come to these four golf courses? I know at the Friday you guys have done uh, a lot with Rustic Canyon and Soul Park in terms of covering those golf courses. I wasn't yes. quite as familiar with uh, Buenaventura and Olivas Links. Um, so w- w- why don't you just mind sharing me what uh, what what you enjoy about those golf courses? What makes them worth playing? And kind of how they all kind of came together uh, as part of your you know, Ventura County list of accessible, affordable destinations for golf architecture fans. They're just really fun courses and they're all different from each other and they're all inexpensive. They're pretty amazing. And and they're, they're city or County owned. Um, so amazing. I grew up in the Santa Barbara area, which is, which is right adjacent to Ventura. And my, my dad grew up in Ventura and worked in Ventura for his career. So I was, very familiar with these courses growing up. My dad and I would often go play golf in Ventura because the courses there were uh, less expensive than the ones in the Santa Barbara sure. area. So I was very familiar with Buenaventura, Olivas, and Soul Park growing up. Rustic Canyon did not yet exist when when I was an early teen and playing a lot of golf with my dad. So I knew those courses, and what they are today is so different from what they were back then. It's just remarkable. And so in addition to just being, I think, fun, distinctive golf experiences where you hit a lot of great shots and you have a lot of holes where you're uh, asked interesting questions, 
In addition to that, just the the story of the places is really wonderful because in the 2000s, in that first decade of the 21st century, all of these courses, well, Soul Park, Olivas Links, and Buena Ventura, all of those courses were renovated and renovated very successfully. And Rustic Canyon was built. And so just in that decade, the quality of golf in that area went up so much just because the local governments, the city and county governments invested in golf a little bit. Um, you know, it wasn't even that much of an investment because the renovations were fairly cheap, but they were, they were smart and they were done by good architects. And so, uh, I just think it's a, a great story and a great example for other municipalities around the country for what can be done with their older courses and what can be done in building new courses in an economical way. Um, and, and the public service that that, that provides. So, Buena Ventura and Olivas Links are right next door to each other. They're both in Ventura. They're Ventura City courses, not far from the ocean. There's some winds that whip in, but you don't really see the ocean from the courses. They're they're along the Ventura River, and um and man, I mean these courses were were dilapidated by the late 90s. They were really in rough condition. Buena Ventura was an old old course that was really wonderful. I think at one time it was a, a Billy Bell course that my dad actually played when he was growing up in the fifties hmm. and, um, it was known as uh, Montalvo. I'm not saying that right, but it was known by a different name back okay. then. Uh, Olivas links was, was of more modern vintage, but both of them, um, had been flooded multiple times over the years and just were, were really struggling, struggling to maintain acceptable playing conditions and struggling to attract golfers. And so the city in the early 2000s and mid 2000s brought in an architect named Forrest Richardson, who's a very smart renovator. And, and he just transformed these courses, uh, didn't spend a huge amount of money doing it, but, but completely transformed them, especially Olivas Links, which is just a, a utterly different. It's a rebuilt golf course. And um, what he did was, I mean, each of the courses has a distinct identity. Olivas Links, as its name indicates, it kind of follows what you might call a Lynx style golf course, which I don't always love, but it, but I think it does, does work at Olivas because there's, you know, the ocean is nearby and, and there is kind of a marshland rolling setting there. Um, and, uh, and he, he just uh, put a new golf course there and it's, it's very, very good. And he has reintroduced a lot of the kind of natural, um, the, the, a lot of the native grasses, um, and natural flora that was there before, the golf course was put there. And, and so that's just a great golf course now. And it, and it feels like it's true to its setting. Um, and I think he just did a wonderful thing there because he not only installed a better golf course, but, but also did something good for the land. Um, Buena Ventura obviously had that history with Billy Bell. And so Forrest Richardson did a kind of Billy Bell inspired renovation of it where the routing wasn't changed too much, but the bunkering style and the strategies of the holes were uh, you know similar to a lot of the Billy Bell, the classic Billy Bell work that you would see in California, um, and and I think that Buena Ventura, you know, Levis Links gets a lot more attention b- because it was such a such a a, a complete transformation, uh, and and because it's it's turned into quite a good golf course. Nobody talks about Buena Ventura, but I think it's fantastic. I think it's it's just as good. Um, now, unfortunately, there are there are murmurings. Uh, among city officials about closing down part of Buena Ventura to 
make space for a water tank or, or something like that. And, and I hope that doesn't happen. Hmm. But uh, in any case, I, I think both of those courses are, are, are lovely and just uh, provide a great example of what cities can do with their courses. Um, now, Forrest Richardson has also done a couple of other uh, renovations along these lines. If you're in the Bay Area, he turned the old Palo Alto Municipal Golf Course into Balin's Links. Right. Um, and, and that's quite good as well. So, um, so yeah, he's, he's an excellent architect and, and he did good work there. Rustic Canyon and Soul Park. Um, you know, Rustic Canyon was a new build. It's one of the great modern courses. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just people, that course gets a lot of praise, a lot of attention, but I, I almost think that people don't even know <laughs> how good that course is. Like mm. it's up there among the very, very best courses in Southern California. Wow. It's just so amazing. And, and it really does, I mean, it, for a course that's kind of in an inland setting and not really on what you would imagine, what you would call lynx land, it's, it's not on lynx land, it's on pretty sandy terrain and it's, it has some role to it, but it's, yeah, it's not dunesy or anything like that. Right. But uh, for, for a, a California course, it gets about as close to the spirit of a, uh, of a local Scottish or Irish course as, as you can get. Um, it's just really natural, firm fascinating holes it, yeah it's one of the great courses and uh and and just um you know it's it's pretty awesome that you can play it for 50 bucks I, yeah. you know i just you, it's the best deal in the country it doesn't hurt um, that it's got a nice pedigree too i mean the, the names involved with rustic canyon are in and of themselves pretty pretty cool yeah um so as a, a gil hansen jim wagner design with the help of jeff shackelford they all collaborated in the building of the course and there were also a lot of people who were helping with that course, shaping the course on site during the construction, who, who we know now as well. You know, it was it was one of the early courses that really established Gil Hans's name. Now he's doing, you know, high profile restorations of major country clubs and building, you know, he built the Olympic course. And, and, and so he's a, a famous architect now, one, one of the more famous architects in, in the world. Mm -hmm. But at the time that he built this course, he was young and up and coming and man, they just got out there on the bulldozers and did it. Um, and and it's just a really cool place, and it has stayed true to its original design. I, ho I hope it continues to. But um, you know, beautiful course, great golf experience. Soul Park. Um, now, now this is one that was you know that I've beaten the drum for a lot. Um, I was shocked by how good this golf course had become since its renovation at the hands of again Gil Hans and Jim Wagner. Um, this course flooded out. In 2005, it, it was almost completely destroyed. I, I think that people in the town where the golf course is, Ojai, thought that it was done. But um, the county managed to get it together to bring in Gil Hans to renovate the course. And he not only kind of brought the course back from the flood and made it functional again, but turned it into a really wonderful course that I see as being inspired by Billy Bell and George Thomas, you know, it kind of has that, um, uh, some of that look and feel of those, uh, Los Angeles country, uh, country clubs, the LACC and, and Bel Air and Riviera. Good it has some of that inspiration. Um, I'm not saying it's like as good as those courses, <laughs> obviously, <laughs> but it's, um, you know, they were only able to do what they could do with the, the money they had and the routing they had, but you know, it is, uh, it's an awesome, golf course and uh, and i'm glad that that course is starting to get i think some of the attention it deserves because you know i think it had a reputation for a while of being in really bad shape it's it's had it's struggled with management situations over the past several years but now 
there is a great manager in there named Keith Brown who, who really knows what he has and knows what he's doing, has extensive experience managing municipal courses and dealing with that industry. And, you know, if anybody can get through this particular time with that course, okay, it would be Keith Brown. So I, I hope they continue to thrive because he, he's really improved that course and brought it to people's attention. Yeah. It, uh, I mean, the things that I've read, uh, you write about Soul Park, uh, not only in, in the Golf Guide magazine, but on the Friday as well. Uh, it, it is high on my, my list of places to play uh, here in California. Now, um, from a, I guess from a geography standpoint, I, I'm not too familiar with Ventura County myself, Garrett. Um, mm. I, obviously, you said that uh, both Buenaventura and Olivas Links are in Ventura, Rustic Canyon in Moore Park, and then Soul Park in Ojai. Uh, how, mm-hmm. how far away are all those from one another? Like, are, is it pretty feasible and easy to imagine, like doing a long weekend where you know your uh, group of buddies maybe uh, sets down a home base at like an Airbnb or a hotel somewhere? Is is it pretty easy to get to all of those golf courses from one location? I wouldn't call it easy because traffic in Southern California is never uh-huh. easy. Yes. You'd, you'd okay. have to hit it at the right times, sure. but it's definitely feasible. The midpoint between all of them would be something like Camarillo which is uh, just a little ways from uh, Ventura or Oxnard. Um, okay. you know, there are definitely hotels there that you can stay in. But I don't know. If I were doing this trip, I think I'd stay in Ojai. Because <laughs> that's just, I mean, if you have the, it's just the money to pay for a hotel, it's just an amazing vacation town. Yeah, I mean, Ojai is awesome. And, and and there's a ton to do there. You know, it's a, it's a town that's built for tourism, really, but not in a cheesy way. You know, there's a there's a kind of quirky tradition there. And uh, but there are a lot of places to get some good wine and get some good food. And um, and it's just a beautiful little secluded valley in in the mountains. And uh, that's where I would recommend staying. You would be close to uh, right next door to Soul Park, obviously. And then you'd have uh, the uh, Ojai Valley Inn, which I have my issues with. But it's it's a historic course designed by George Thomas and. You know, there, there are a lot of holes there that are that are intact and really, really cool. But I wrote a whole article about that course, too, and, and kind of the, the some of the unfortunate things. That I, I, I do recall reading about yeah. the not to you know, I, I'll put words in your mouth, but the somewhat I don't know. Is it fair to say that a little bit of like bastardization of some of the golf holes out there where they're just not what they were kind of originally supposed to be when George Thomas? Yeah, I mean, out? not only bastardization, but complete elimination of oh, some yeah. holes uh, mm-hmm. so that they could build new buildings for the resort. And I get it. You know, they make money from their hotel rooms. They make a lot of money from their hotel yes. rooms. It's an, it's an awesome resort, a high dollar resort, but, but man, is it cool? Um, but the golf course has taken a back seat. Sure. And, um, and they, they do continue to claim the George Thomas heritage. You know, maybe they'll be backing off that. Uh, it, there, there are some indications that they're not hitting that theme quite as hard hmm. now. Um, but, uh, but they really, uh, you know, uh, they can't have it both ways. They can't be building, you know, new buildings on top of George Thomas golf holes and, and saying right. this is a George Thomas golf course. Right. But th- that said, what's there is a cool golf course. You know, sure. no, no doubt about it. And a beautiful and there place. Are, yeah. And there's there's a, there's a nine holes there or really more like seven, seven holes in that nine that now plays as the front nine that plays through these awesome canyons. And and they're just, you know, the, the routing is, is classic George Thomas, even if the bunkers and the hold designs have been have been rearranged right um uh, but in any case you'd be close to that course as well that's just down the road from from soul park and um you know it's not too far a drive from ojai to ventura that's not too painful a drive 
the one that's a little bit tough is to get to Moore Park, but there's a kind of back road that you can take from Ojai to Moore Park that's just a beautiful drive in its own right. It's twisty and it's long. I think it's probably about an hour. But um, just as a drive, I mean, you're not going to run into huge traffic like you do sometimes on the 101 uh, freeway. But, uh, uh, you know, and, and you pay for that in, in the hairpin turns that you take up and over <laughs> mountains and stuff. But it's a cool, uh, pretty drive out there that gives you a sense for the back country. And, and so that's probably what I'd recommend doing. Stay in Ojai, play those Ojai courses, and then just kind of radiate out to the other courses that you want to play. You can easily spend a day in Ventura. You just drive out to Ventura in the morning, play, play, um, uh, Olivas links in the morning because you're more likely to get around quickly and then go to Buenaventura in the afternoon. You'll have quite a nice day of golf there. Um, and then, you know, uh, as the last leg of your trip, head out to, more park and, and play rest of canyon it sounds i'm not gonna lie to you man it, it sounds like a weekend that i would i would love to put on the calendar once uh, we're allowed to travel yeah. again <laughs> uh, yeah i mean it, it, it i'd highly recommend because you know it, it's it's golf it's good golf and it's affordable golf but um it's a vacation place you know ventura california especially ojai is is built for vacations you'll, you'll have a good time off the golf course as well um, and I promise I'm not a member of the Ventura County Chamber of Commerce or whatever, <laughs> but, but this is just my honest opinion that, you know, a lot of people go to Santa Barbara for vacations, but man, if you're a golfer and, and you like good golf course architecture, um, go to Ventura instead. Interesting. And just on a little side note, just cause you know, but while I have you, I might as well ask, I, outside of the Valley Club, I really don't have a beat on what the golf scene is like in Santa Barbara. Is, is there a lot of I mean, is there more than one or two options for golf, like public accessible golf in Santa Barbara? Is it? I, I don't know how limited the inventory is of golf courses there. Yeah, I mean, it depends on what you consider accessible. Um, the Santa Barbara Municipal Course, the one that's kind of near downtown, it, I think that's a, a classic. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's on these rolling hills, a piece of land that you would never get in the middle of a city now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's been there for years, and and there are some some holes that are that are kind of back and forth on flat land. But when you get into the cool topography of that property, there are some really fun golf holes. So Santa Barbara Municipal, that was the first big golf course I I ever played, and and so it looms large in in my memory for that reason. And sure. so it's possible that I overrated. Um. Uh, the other really well-known course in the Santa Barbara area, which is not in Santa Barbara proper, um, is Sandpiper, mm-hmm. right on the ocean. You know, it's it's a lot like Torrey Pines in the sense that, you know, the the design maybe isn't a huge amount to write home about, but the location is absolutely amazing, just up on the cliffs above the ocean and holes that literally play down onto the beach, and over oceanside ravines, just dramatic, remarkable coastal land. Um, that's Sandpiper and it is pricey, you know, they know what they've got there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, aside from that, there, there are some, some little courses here and there, some nine hole courses. Um, the ones that I grew up on, some that have been closed down, uh, you know, there's Glen, Glen Abbey above the high school, the, the public high school that I went to growing up. And, uh, you know, if you go over the mountains into the valley on the other side, you'll find Rancho San Marcos, a course that has, I think, really struggled. But when it opened, it, it made a splashy opening. It was a Robert Trent Jones Jr. design on, on a really dramatic piece of land. And um, and I think that they've they've really struggled to maintain good conditions. You know, the, if you're looking for a, for a gem, uh, for a, an affordable, I don't know if I'd go as far as to call it a gem, but it's a cool golf course. If you go out of town a little bit to Lompoc, um, California, uh, uh, just up the coast a little bit, uh, there's a course called La Purisima, 
Um, and that's on, uh, you know, just your classic kind of rolling oak studded dry piece of California land, just a beautiful location. And it's a tough golf course. Uh, it, it's, it's not, uh, you know, not, not, not architecture that you would study for millions of years, but it's, uh, but each hole is different. And, and that's the one that I think that fewer people know about that, that I would recommend. Um, now, of course, there are the private courses in the Santa Barbara and Ventura area that, that are well known, including Valley Club. But um, it, hard to think of a course that's more difficult to get on than Valley Club. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I managed to get on it because I played a couple of years of junior golf in Santa Barbara. And the junior golf tour in Santa Barbara actually goes to Valley Club, which is no, amazing when you think no about kidding. it. No um, kidding. And so that's oh, how that I played is, it. That's um, fantastic. But, uh, but yeah, good luck otherwise. Yeah. It's a small membership. Well, without, without getting, uh, you know, too far off top, I mean, I might as well just ask, I mean, as, as good as advertised? Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a, kind of a rhetorical <laughs> yeah, I mean, question, but it, it's a little yeah. bit, it's a tight property, you know, um, it, it's not, you know, I think if the, if you're just imagining kind of Alistair McKenzie and the foothills, you're imagining something a little more expansive, but it's a tight property, but a brilliant routing just the, the way he uses the features of that land um is remarkable and um and it's been restored you know tom doak has been working on a restoration of that course for the past number of years i, I believe it it was deemed com- complete uh, a few years ago but i haven't kept track of it exactly um yeah, that that area and valley club included got hit by a pretty devastating landslide um a couple of years ago yeah, and um, I'm assuming the course, the Valley Club has recovered from that. You know, the course has substantial resources, but that has been an event in its in its recent history. Yep. But yeah, I mean, if you can get on Valley Club, you know, have fun. Absolutely. Great not, golf course. Not accessible nor affordable, but no. spectacular, <laughs> spectacular <laughs> yeah. nonetheless. Uh, well, okay, so if, if we're talking accessible and affordable, let, let, let's jump into your, uh, your next destination. You're and this is the one that I actually found. Uh, maybe the most fascinating because it's a place that I felt like I knew pretty well and had a pretty good beat on the different golf that was available in this region. And I, I learned a lot um, from just reading, you know, the the short little write-up you did on the Oregon coast. Um, and it just, it, it seems like the, the golf that you are recommending to readers on the Oregon coast, while still kind of fitting the criteria that you were, uh, that, that you had laid out uh, asking all those questions of yourself it seems like the golf um, that that you talk about in in your story is wildly different than the golf that you would find in Ventura County. Am I am I off base there? Uh, no, not at all. You know, there are courses that I recommend on the Oregon coast that you know, haven't had the privilege of a visit from Gil Hans or Forrest Richardson. <laughs> you know, yeah, like right. the okay. the the fun thing about the Ventura County courses is that you get the highest possible class of architects working on courses that are quite affordable there's not a name um, recognition in ventura county n- no uh, uh, yeah 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 exactly there and there's not a lot of name recognition on the on the oregon coast i would say though you should know about dan hickson right if, if you play pacific yep. northwest golf i think that he is the um, best architect who's currently concentrating on this region and uh, i'm looking forward to seeing what else he does but but he has had a fascinating career that's mostly been focused on the Pacific Northwest mm-hmm. and on the Oregon coast. He has, he designed Bandon crossings golf course, which is a great golf course. You yeah. know, it's, <laughs> obviously it's right next to, you know, the it, Bandon it resort. The, uh, it, it is it's, the golf course of choice for most of the caddies at Bandon Dunes exactly. golf resort. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, it's a, it's a local golf course and I think it would probably 
get more praise if it weren't down the road from if we're not in the shadow yeah exactly from yeah um and uh as a local golf course you can't do much better than banding crossings but uh you know if you're going to bandon i assume that you're going to go play the courses at the resort and i don't blame you if you play them uh, a couple of times and that's what you spend your time doing while you're out there but around bandon you have a lot of cool local courses uh and and i think that the Bandon Resort itself has had a bit of a trickle-down effect on its area where there were either local courses that existed before or there are new newer courses like Bandon Crossings that have been built to serve the population that has moved into the area that plays golf, right? Because <laughs> what, I mean, remarkable what has happened with the demographics of Bandon as a village. Uh, it was a, a, essentially a fishing town before, I think, and a small one. And fishing towns on the coast of Oregon are are not among the uh, the, the fastest growing towns in no, the world. Not not uh, <laughs> not metropolises in the uh, traditional sense. No, yeah, and the industry that that supported them when they were founded has really changed. And so the Bandon Resort now dominates that that town. Of course, there are other people who work there. It's not all the resort, but it has completely transformed that town and, and, I, and that area. And I think one of the things that has happened is that some of the other courses in the area have been like, I mean, there are golfers coming through here, not only people who are traveling, but people who are now living here. And, um, and so there's something interesting maybe that we could offer. Banding Crossings is built on that model. And then in uh, kind of nearby Coos Bay, Oregon, is Sunset Bay Golf Course, which, you know, just if, if you're expecting fancy architecture, then, then don't go to Sunset Bay. You know, it's, it's very <laughs> much a, an out-of-the-way adventure-type course that is sometimes in rough condition, but it's really beautiful. And it's in this wonderful valley setting and um, the maintenance of the course is, is minimal and, and cool. Like I, I think it's uh, the way they maintain that course is really smart. They don't really keep a lot of rough, and um, every hole is different, and uh, it's a lot of fun to play. Uh, I, I think that's a, a fun golf course, and um, it's one that not a lot of people know about. But I think you know a, a funny thing happened a couple of months ago when Joel Beal of Golf Digest actually wrote a whole feature article on Sunset Bay. So maybe it'll start to be a little better known. But that's a very good article. I would go, I recommend checking that out if you're curious about Sunset Bay um, and getting a feel for what it's like. But um, those are the kind of courses I love recommending because, you know, I, I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, those questions that we went through earlier about good architecture, I'm not saying Sunset Bay knocks it out of the park on, on all those questions. But um, but it's a, a lovely golf experience and, and one where you feel like you're discovering something. Right. And, and I do want to remind people that are listening to this that, you know, when, when Garrett was talking about the, the questions that he asks himself um, as is determined whether or not he, you know, enjoys it or thinks it's a great golf course, um, the, the last one, it does, you do preface it with, above all, do yes. you feel the urge to go around again? And for me, th- that, that's always always my number one as well. And it seems like a place like Sunset Bay, it, it, it that that's the one they say, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to go around for another nine. It, I agree. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and and you're not you're not. Well, maybe this will change uh, uh, as a result of uh, Joel Beale's work, but um, you're not fighting crowds there. <laughs> it's not a sure. It's not a six hour round of golf. You know, the pace of play at Bandon Dunes is is pretty good, but um, you know you're out at Sunset Bay, and and oftentimes you're, it's just you and that golf course, and yeah, you, know, you can you can keep going around. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, that's a cool way to be. Um, 
which and and those are by the way if if anybody has not picked it up yet both of those golf courses if you are going to Bandon Dunes uh and and you do want to leave the property a little bit both Bandon Crossings and uh Sunset in in Coos Bay are both within about 40 minutes uh, of of your hotel room if you're staying at the resort. So th- those are those yes. are easy to get to on a day trip if you're already touching uh, base of Bannon. Now, are, are the other two golf courses that you you wrote about, Garrett? Uh, I'm assuming they're not that close to Bandon. Um, th- it's more about if you're kind of making making a road trip up or down the Oregon yeah. coast that maybe these are ones you'd want to hit. That's right. Yeah, okay. Crestview is kind of midway up the coast, midway ish. You know, like it it can turn into a long drive because it's like a, a two lane highway highway one up, up the Oregon gotcha. coast there. And, um, and, and so, yeah, if you're, if you're expecting to do these all in one day, uh, you might need to rearrange your plans a little bit, sure. but yeah, this is if you're planning to take a little, uh, a little jaunt up the coast, which I highly recommend. It's a fascinating place. It's a beautiful um, drive too. My yeah. Goodness. And there are a lot of, you'll, you'll discover a lot of cool towns that you didn't know existed. And, you know, you'll be tempted to stop everywhere and kind of go take pictures and go check out the local beaches and, all that stuff. Like it's, uh, you know, I, I, I've taken this road trip a number of times up the coast of California and Oregon and, um, and would recommend it for anybody, but especially kind of you know, like young listeners out there. If you're just out of college or in your twenties and you're still in that kind of road tripping phase of your life, you, you just got to do this trip. It, it's really wonderful and peaceful and a lot of kind of random places to stay and hostels and, and things like that. And you'll, you'll start to feel like Jack Kerouac, but, um, uh, but yeah, up in Walport, Oregon, you've got Crestview Golf Club, local nine-hole course that Dan Hickson renovated, and um, and it's uh, it's lovely, you know, it's a it's a fun golf course. And um, then if you go uh, if you go up further uh, the co- on the coast, more near the kind of Washington border, you arrive in Gearhart, uh, Gearhart, Oregon, and uh, there you have Gearhart Golf Links, which has been there forever. And uh, and uh, you know very fine golf course and a, a highly regarded one uh, among uh, anybody who's who's played there. But um, as you're taking this trip up the Oregon coast, you'll see a bunch of interesting local courses. They're all different. They vary widely in, in quality, but um, but I think they all have interesting stories. And I and I I think they're 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 all primarily meant to serve the local population of the town, and they they've taken on a kind of lived in identity for that reason. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this is a, a golf trip for, a, you know, a kind of open-minded adventurous person who wants to just kind of discover things. So yeah, I've recommended Crestview and, and Gearhart. Those courses have, have excellent pedigrees really. Um, but, uh, but I'm telling you, if you take this road trip and you are open to kind of stopping off at different places and just sort of going off of your itinerary, you'll find a lot of stuff and, and a lot of, uh, cool golf, you know, Manzanita golf course. Mm-hmm. Um, again, one that has been there since the early 1900s, maybe even the late 1890s. Um, there are a couple more courses in the Gearheart area yeah, so that I, are fun. I, I feel like I've seen a, a few people write, you know, write and, and talk about a place that's right next to Gearheart. Um, blanking on the name. I think it's is it Highlands. Yeah. Highlands golf club. Okay. Okay, that's it, definitely one. Would, would, um, that, would that qualify under this criteria as well? If somebody maybe finds himself in in, in around Gearhart for a night and they want to get a couple rounds in, I know it's definitely affordable. Now, I, I did not, I have not been there. Yeah, I I've not played it. Like likewise, um, and so, uh, so I don't know. It, it might be an even better one to recommend than Gearhart. Who knows? <laughs> or or better to recommend <laughs> than Crestview. I, I've just been to the golf courses I've been to, but yeah, a lot of people regard Highlands Golf Club as 
a local gem. And then also in the Gearhart area, you know, just south of Gearhart, basically in the same kind of uh, complex of development is uh, Seaside, Oregon. And, um, you know, this is a vacation town and a, a beach town. You know, they have uh, some really pretty stuff there. And if you go downtown, it it's, uh, actually gets uh, pretty kitschy. But if you enjoy that, then then that's the place for you. But just, just on the kind of outskirts of that town is Seaside Golf Course, which I played when I went out to play uh, Gearheart with a writer friend. Mm-hmm. And um, Seaside Golf Course, a nine-hole golf course designed by Chandler Egan way back in the day. No kidding. And... Um, uh, Oh, very cool. You know, I, I, I think it's, uh, you know, it shows the marks of some struggle over the years. I think that the river that runs through the course has probably um, gone beyond its bounds at, at certain points. Okay. But uh, <laughs> man, does, that course has a lot of character um, and uh, and it's it's fun to play. So um, I could very well have recommended that one, too. Um, uh, if you just look at the um, you'll kind of see what I mean. Uh, when you look at the aerials, I, I'm looking for, at it right now. Uh, for uh, golf course. Right as yeah, you were talking, I pulled it up on Google Maps, and I, I'm not going to lie. It really hits home that affordable thing we talked about because as I look at it, first of all, it looks awesome. Second, you have a Motel 6 and a Quality Inn right across the street. I mean, what, what, what more <laughs> yeah. affordability is? is <laughs> You've got yourself <laughs> in right, it's coming everywhere. There. Yeah, it's coming up both <laughs> yeah, ears. Exactly. <laughs> and the uh, and Seaside Golf Course is attached to a bar basically they have they have a, a fully functioning local bar right there um that, and that is uh, a huge plus for me yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh and so it's yeah yeah what what more could you want um but, but yeah it's, it's that kind of cool stuff that you find I, I you know when i when i called up seaside ahead of time and said hello i'm a golf writer i would like to come play your course they're just kind of like all right, you know, <laughs> if, if that's what you want to do, I was like, yeah, that's what I want to do. And so I went, I, I paid my green fee, like, you know, I, 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 which was 15 bucks or whatever. And, um, and had, had myself a great time. Uh, and it's a cool place. And I, I think that there are, you know, there are plenty of courses that I've played on the Oregon coast that are just like that, really. Um, my dad speaks highly of Manzanita you know, I think Manzanita is a place like that as well. I imagine Highlands is too. So uh, that's the kind of feel that you're that you're going for on the Oregon coast. That's the sort of uh, experience that you would have to be into if this is something that you're going to do. Uh, you know, it happens to be something that I love doing. You know, I, I, uh, there are little areas like this in the United States that have these uh, fun golf courses that nobody's ever heard of, often in coastal settings. I, I think Maine, the Maine coast, is a lot like this as well, hmm. um, and. Uh, you know, indeed, if I were to like compare the Oregon coast to any place that I've been, that northern New England coast is pretty similar okay. in a lot of ways, um, and and has uh, you know feels at certain points that it has, is beyond the reach of modernization, <laughs> even if it obviously isn't. Uh, no place is, but it does feel that way, like you're you're in a world apart. Yeah. Yeah, that's really, really cool. Now, this is where I'm going to test a little bit of your geography and traffic knowledge. If somebody oh, no. if, if somebody looked at this and said, you know what, that seems like a really fun idea for you know me and a friend to, to go do, I, I, then my question would be, how much time would you allow for someone? Let's say they're not going to Bandon specifically, right? They're just like, you know what, let's go take a trip up the coast and let's just try to get around a golf in every day. Is that something you would try to budget a, you know, three or four days for, or is that more of a, of a week-long type adventure, do you think? You could do it in three or four days. Okay. You just wouldn't go to every place. You wouldn't okay. be taking the kind of casual 
wandering approach, I suppose, but you could do a little bit of that. You know, uh, you can drive from Bandon to Gearhart in a day for sure. Like in a few hours, Mm -hmm. it's not fun, Okay, but uh, you can do it. And so if you have three to four days, I think that's really plenty of time, honestly, but you could easily take more time um, and, and explore a little more and there would be plenty for you to explore. Yeah. Um, that said, you know, if you're coming from way out of town, if you're coming from another coast or another part of the country and you're going to the Oregon coast, um, you know, I'm not here to tell anybody what to do. I would just think it would be a little bit odd if you're a golfer and you're going to go to the trouble of going to the Oregon coast that you wouldn't go to the Bandon resort. Yeah, like you got to do it. And, uh, and yes, it, it is expensive. So I understand that that's not in everybody's budget, but, uh, I feel like if you're coming out to the Oregon coast, you're already kind of committing to a trip there. Uh, cause it's, it's not easy to get to. No, no. And, and really to me, it seems like, uh, some of these would make the most sense. Uh, if you were going to Bandon, yes. and let's say you were, you were coming, you know, flying in and out of a place like Portland, you know, Hey, if you got to go have to go down the coast, well, let's hit one or two of these on the way to the, the Bandon resort. And then maybe let's hit another one or two on the way home. Or just one of the other. That that seems to me like would be the perfect uh, way to enjoy some, one of these. If if you're not, you know, uh, an Oregon resident or someone who is spending a lot of time on the Oregon coast. I agree, and and I think that you would be surprised at how easy it is to drive from Portland to Gearhart. Uh, Gearhart's basically, um, you know, one road out from Portland, mm-hmm. and it's a couple hour drive, but easily you can do a day trip out there, um, and and you know. It feels like you're way away from Portland, but it's really, especially if you're, if you go at a time where you're not hitting a lot of traffic, it's not that hard to get there. Hmm. Awesome. Uh, okay. Well, let's hit your third one. And this is the one that you had mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. It didn't, you had to think about this one a little bit more. Uh, it kind of won out over a bunch of other places that you were considering, but what, what made San Diego County, uh, beyond it being a a great place just to vacation in general, uh, what is it about the golf courses that you um, that you mentioned in your story that made San Diego seem like it would be a fun place to take a, a golf-specific vacation where you're looking for really fun, quality golf? It has a cool architectural tradition. You know, uh, Billy Bell uh, did a lot of work in San Diego, and various architects who are known primarily for their work in the Los Angeles area made their way down to San Diego at one point or another. You know, a lot of them designed private clubs rather than municipal courses but it just happened to be that billy bell had a couple of municipal course contracts including balboa park um, and obviously the tory pines courses and so um, he left his fingerprints on that golf scene and it gives the community of golf there some history and some heritage you know billy bell is a great great architect um you know i'm I'm not saying that (laughs) A, a huge amount of his work remains on some of these courses, sure. but uh, uh, but some of it does. And, and especially if you go to Balboa Park, I think you'd be surprised at, at how strong the bones of that course are. Um, Balboa Park is an old San Diego municipal course and uh, older than Torrey Pines. And it's, uh, you know, it's a somewhat under, underrated, I, I think, because, um, you know, maybe – Maybe the pace of play isn't isn't so great. It, it does get a lot of business, and maybe the conditions have struggled a little bit. But I, I think that course should be a little more treasured than it is. Hmm. Yeah, because I've heard I've heard about Balboa Park. Again, I, I have not had the good fortune to uh, enjoy a round down there, but I I always hear people talking about how just the piece of land that it occupies is so fascinating. 
Um, awesome. And then it's obviously you know centrally located, so it's easy to get to for people in in San Diego. So that that to me seems like a like a home run. Great routing too, you know. Okay. Cool piece of land, you know, uh, California ravine scape, you know, sort of this, um, you know, what you would imagine inland San Diego would would look like, and the routing that exists at that course is uh, really fun and savvy, and gives you a tour of that land that that leads you to feel like you know it. Um, and, and so that's the thing that I can most recommend about Balboa Park. The thing that has happened to the design over the years, aside from the obvious aesthetics of the bunkers kind of deteriorating a bit from what they must have been at some point, mm-hmm. uh, is the uh, width of the fairways and the size of the greens. Both of those have shrunk over time. And, um, you know, uh, there's, there's wall-to-wall turf and, um, you know, they're doing what they can there. Water is a, a real, real problem in that city, yeah. obviously, and a constant struggle for the uh, municipal um, golf committee there uh, to, to figure out how to help these courses survive. Basically, how they're surviving is is through the largesse of Torrey Pines <laughs> um, because they're, they're all part of the same fund. And Torrey Pines South Course, which where majors have been held and where the Farmers Insurance Open is held, um, every year, uh, along with uh, one round at the North Course that they play every year, um, that facility funds the rest of San, uh, San Diego Municipal Golf. So, so props to Torrey Pines. Yeah, well, I, Torrey Pines is actually another course that you had uh, listed in your story. However, it was not the North Course um, that you identified not the, as not the South Course, rather. That, not the yeah. South Course. Yeah, Excuse the me. South Course is the is the really well known one. Yeah, and but the North Course, uh, I mean. People listening to this podcast, you know, obviously have heard me talk about how uh, the news when you know Tom Weiskopf was redoing it. But um, you you've identified the North Course at Torrey Pines as being a, a standout and one of one of the more enjoyable rounds of golf that somebody can enjoy uh, in San Diego. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> you know, um, I have my quibbles, right? And uh, I, you know, they're the same boring quibbles that I, I think that I would have with uh, a lot of golf courses, especially the Torrey Pines courses. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily get the most possible out of its land, but the time Tom Weisskopf renovation there is is pretty cool. I think the greens are really good, uh, really interesting, and and allow for different levels of challenge and and different playing scenarios from day to day. Um, so he, I think he did a good job on the greens. Um, the the fairways when they're maintained at the regular daily width. You know, I, I I'm not somebody who plays this course every day. I played it once, but um, <laughs> I think that there's a there's ample room to play out there. And and then you're just you know I I don't underrate the fact that you're where you are. You're you're on these spectacular stratospheric cliffs above the ocean. I mean it's 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 just cool to be there. And and I think that if if I'm going to spend a day playing golf on that terrain. I'm going to be grateful for that, for one thing, but I'm also going to kind of prefer to do it on the north course uh, where, where I, I think there's just a little more fun to be had in the golf um, than there is on the south course. Sure. And obviously the rates are, are lower too on the north course. Yeah. Uh, can, can I, I want to take a quick detour with you real quick. I, I, I want to finish talking about San Diego, but I do want to ask you just your opinion on something. And, and it, it revolves around Tom Weisskopf and Tom Weisskopf has built a lot of really great golf courses over the last couple of decades. He's, you know, been mm-hmm. given a lot of sites that are really fantastic. And I'm curious as, as to what your, at least your take is on well, why isn't Tom Weisskopf viewed in the same light and in the same reverence as names like, you know, uh, Ben Crenshaw or, I mean, even a Jack Nicklaus, I guess. If, if, we're, if we're talking about the former players that have become designers, mm-hmm. um, it, it seems like he is not in the same discussion as a as a Ben Crenshaw or 
a uh, like I said, a Jack Nicklaus, or especially um, you know golf course architects like Doak, Hans, you know, and, and mm-hmm. those guys. Do, do you have any? I don't know. Do you, do you have any theories or, or ideas as to why you think that is? Because he's been given some wonderful plots of land. And by the way, he's built some great golf courses, but it just doesn't seem like that many people in you know in your part of the you know the, the media industry that covers golf course architecture. You, you just don't hear much about Tom Weiskopf golf courses. I guess that's true. Um, yeah, admittedly, I haven't played a lot of them. I've played a few Tom Weiskopf courses, and I, I think I, I have a them, general. A lot of them are private them. too. I, sh- I should say maybe maybe yeah. that's part of it. Yeah. I think that that's probably part of it too. Uh, yeah, and, you know, he he was partnered with Jay Morish for many years, and and they did a lot of work in the 80s and 90s. Um, Tom Weiskopf built Forest Dunes, I believe, right? Yes, um, yes, he did. And, and, uh, as a solo design, and that's quite well regarded. Um, why is he not regarded as well as Jack Nicholas or Ben? Cren- I think those are two very different people, Jack Nicholas and Ben Crenshaw. Yes. <laughs> I think that the reason that he isn't regarded as highly as Ben Crenshaw and Bill Core is that he's not as good of an architect that, <laughs> as that, either of those people. Now that, that makes perfect sense um, to me. That makes perfect you know, sense. Like Bill Core and Ben Crenshaw, that that firm. You mean has, they're not uh, the best in the business? Is, 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 is maybe the best in the industry right, right. now. Um, yeah. say, you know, that's no insult business. to Tom Weiskopf, but uh, you know, for me, there is a reason why Core and Crenshaw is revered. Um, Tom Weiskopf uh, Weis- is used to not finishing in first place. Sing. Oh, yeah. Sorry. So sorry. <laughs> oh, <laughs> had to throw it in there. I'm sorry. Oh man. Poor sorry, Tom. Tom. You're much more successful uh, in life than I am. So just to, to take that for what it is. I think he can handle. Handle it. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, and and why is he uh, not spoken of in the same breath as as Jack Nicholas? Well, you know, Jack Nicholas, Jack, Jack Nicholas, the architect, I should say, more so. Yeah, than Jack the architect as opposed to the player. Sure. Yeah, and I understand. Jack Nicholas has built a great deal more courses than Tom Weiskopf. Mm-hmm. I think that um, one thing that Tom Weiskopf has going for him is that he's not seen as a boogeyman of golf architecture <laughs> in the way that Jack Nicholas often is. You know, perhaps sometimes unfairly. Um, so, you know, I'm I'm not sure. I would have to see more Tom Weiskopf and Morish and Weiskopf courses in order to uh, to come to some kind of conclusion there. My, my sense is that a lot of their work, Morish and Weiskopf's work in the 80s and 90s, uh, was kind of of the style of the period. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there, there was your there was a little bit of artificiality to it, um, you know, some a tendency towards some containment mounting. That's that's what I've seen of the courses that I've played of theirs from that era. Um, Moorish was the the uh, one of the driving forces behind the work at Ojai um, that that I'm not a particular fan of. But, uh, you know, I don't know if Tom Weiskopf was involved in that. You know, I, I think that Tom Weiskopf is probably a very smart golf architectural mind. And um, that he is uh, one of those designers who has kind of moved with the trends of the period somewhat. Obviously, we're, we're seeing in his recent work more of a tendency towards what's in now, you know, at Forest Dunes. Um, but if you look at some of the stuff that he did in the 80s and 90s, you know, it, I think he built a lot of great courses. I've heard wonderful things about Loch Lomond, for instance. Yeah. Um, but, um, it, but it didn't necessarily stand out from the period that those courses were built in, um, in the way that when you look at some of the work that Doak and Corin Crenshaw and other designers did in the same period where they were pushing against the trends of the time and, and trying to create a new vein in modern golf architecture, I'm not sure that Weiskopf was a primary mover in that way. And that's not to say that he didn't build really good golf courses, but um, I'm not sure that he necessarily stood out 
But um, again, I'm going to I'm going to bookend this with what I prefaced it with. And that's that I haven't played sure. any Tom Weisskopf courses. No, that's uh, that's actually very well said. Despite not playing them, you actually gave me a good answer in, in terms of when you were talking about how he's not pushing against the grain. Uh, <laughs> I'm a like, like specialist at, at BSing and on this stuff. <laughs> oh man, that, that was fantastic. Now, <laughs> one last thing I'll touch on before we like, talk about the uh, the other San Diego courses. Do you think Jack was kind of the same way? Because uh, obviously Jack's golf courses, I mean, have changed a lot over the years. I mean, you, do you think Jack was pushing against the grain in any way, the way that a Doak or um, hands were, uh, or, or has he kind of been more along that just sort of adapted as kind of what's becoming more uh, pop? I, I don't know. Jack, Jack's design career is it, well, it's, it's immense, but also yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's just it's, it's kind of fascinating to follow kind of what his yeah. golf courses have been like as yeah. you know as as time evolves. I, I don't know. Do, do you think? Yeah. Do, would you say Jack is more similar to a Weisskopf in terms of his design career, or do you think he's more of a um, you know kind of? Uh, I don't want to say trendsetter because that would be way <laughs> that would be giving way too much uh, way too much praise. I don't know. Do, do you think he's more similar to a Doak or more similar to a Weisskopf in terms of his design career? You know, maybe between those two. Um, yeah. uh, you know, it, it's hard to put it on a spectrum though. Um, I, I guess if you're talking about it, the spectrum of trendsetting, I think that Jack Nicklaus has has been very influential. That his courses have been very influential yeah. and were perhaps more so in the 80s and 90s, sure. even back to the 70s. Um, than they are now, but Jack Nicholas is a brilliant mind, just a, a an unbelievably smart golf mind, and so you know I I I, I don't like to condescend to him and, and make generalizations about his design career. Um, I will say that I've played a lot of his courses that I did not find memorable, mm-hmm. and where I suspect that he just didn't spend all that much time. You know, he, he his design firm just turned out an enormous number of courses. And the courses where he had really talented associates working on the ground probably turned out a little better than the ones where he didn't. Um, and and that's maybe because you know Jack Nicholas was not really a design build architect. You know he wasn't overseeing every hole of every golf course, and and even has a designation for golf courses that aren't you know aren't really overseen by him. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I mean, he has a complicated design legacy. I think that we're still coming to terms with it, partly because there are so many courses to look at and there are so many different phases of his career to look at. But Jack Nicklaus is is not a an ignorant golf architecture mind. He's one of the smartest people on that subject that uh, um, in in the in the world right now, um, and has been for years. And yet his his golf courses for me just just haven't had a huge impact on me. Sure. Um, that's not to say that there aren't great Jack Nicholas courses, but um, you know that's that's just where where I fall. Yeah. Well, I with mean... him, um, and I think that recently there are you know he's, there are different types of courses that he's started to build. I haven't seen all of them. There's certainly there's certainly been an aesthetic shift for sure. Uh, in, in his courses, where where his firm is starting to turn out some of these frilly edged bunkers that have come into fashion, and, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure I, I'm necessarily on board with just putting those kinds of bunkers in <laughs> any old setting. Um, but uh, but you know he's he's adapted like everybody else. You know Robert Trent Jones Jr. has his firm has adapted enormously to what has happened in the golf industry recently. Yes. You know, partly because there's just not nearly as many jobs now, and so a lot of firms have turned more towards a design build model more towards kind of doing one course at a time and making it unique. And, and, and you know, perhaps Jack uh, Nicholas has moved in that direction a little bit. But, um, you know, there are some under, underappreciated Nicholas courses and there are some overappreciated ones. Um, yeah. 
that's that's where I'd come down. Okay, yeah, because I, I I I'm just so curious to hear your your point of view because I I'm I'm so incapable of being unbiased uh, when it comes to Jack Nicklaus courses just because I haven't played that many and the one that I've played the most is the golf course that I caddied at all throughout high school and the first couple years of college, which I think most people would consider to be one of his best designs, which is uh, Mayakama up in Santa Rosa where I grew up. Sure, and so, yeah, and oh, yeah. It, like that golf course is just so good that it makes me think that. Jack Nicholas is amazing, and but yeah. I, I I'm I'm firmly aware that that golf course is probably not representative of what the majority of his portfolio looks like. So yeah, I'm, I'm my commas my commas cool, and yeah, I mean you know, uh, yeah, there there are, there are some great Jack Nicholas courses. Uh, I I think that the um, we run into problems when we start to paint with a broad brush right. about designers and their careers, and um, you know I've tried never to speak in that way about particular designers and, and say that all of their courses are bad or all of their courses are right. good or everything that they've touched is surely bad um the only generalization that i can come close to about jack nicholas is that you know his his design philosophy has a lot to do with challenging very good players so so that's one thing um and that his uh courses for many years were turned out on a factory model um, and I think that those two things, uh, for me, make his courses less appealing. But um, you know, Muirfield Village is is a brilliant golf course. My comma is a really cool place. And you know, um, and and I I think that if you have a Jack Nicholas course that's near and dear to you, that no one should like make you feel bad about that. Uh, but also equally, if you're thinking about the general kind of golf architecture nerd's perspective on Jack Nicholas, and you're just saying that all of them hate every course that Jack Nicholas has built, then then you haven't really looked into the discussion that golf architecture nerds are having because mm-hmm. it's always more complicated than that, from my point of view at least. You know, I, I see I see a variety of perspectives on Nicholas. I don't see anybody saying everything he's done is terrible. <laughs> right. Yeah, totally. And and by the way, I, I just want to like just re emphasize this for everybody that's listening. That that is why I I look to you and Andy at the fried egg for information on this stuff is because I love the fact that you don't paint with a broad rush and you kind of take each course as its own thing that, a you know, an architect is certainly capable of doing really good work and maybe work that's not nearly as good. Um, yeah. and, and it's just really, it, it's really good to know, um, that, you know, that there's a resource like what you and Andy put out. Now, the, my question to you is, is your associate Andy Johnson as capable of doing this as you are? I, I, my, thinking is he is but i also know that there's been an entire word created about a certain architect um that leads me to believe that andy might think that he's not as capable i i'm talking about of course the word of a a restoration uh, i'm on did you, <laughs> which i think i've seen in andy's articles at least a half dozen times yeah <laughs> well uh, you know <laughs> I, I don't mean to put him on the spot you, you don't need to answer i, I just thought it was well, yeah you'd have to you'd have to ask andy but uh, okay. but i i think if we're talking about reese jones that were uh that's a that's a very different architect than jack nicholas <laughs> yes 100 <laughs> percent. um so uh, so yeah I, I think that um yeah when he when when andy says restoration that's my daughter by the way in the background yes. she came in to visit um that uh, that when that when anybody says restoration, it's a common term. It's not an Andy coinage, right? But uh, restoration is a restoration performed, a quote unquote restoration 
formed by Reese Jones or a renovation. Sometimes the term is used for it, both because it's just a such a felicitous, you know, restoration. Yeah. It just rolls off the tongue. But um, usually to make a golf course more difficult for a tournament of some yeah, kind is kind of the for, way that I exactly. interpret it. Yeah. It's the open doctor stuff, which right. obviously Reese Jones's father, Robert Trent Jones, um, uh, you know, pioneered. You know, he kind of gave himself the nickname Open Doctor starting in the 1950s. And, you know, it, it's about making golf courses harder. And, yeah, I, I would I would hold to the position that Reese Jones has done quite a bit of damage to quite a bit of quite a few classic courses. Um, and, and, you know, I'll, I'll say again, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm maybe not as positive about Reese Jones as I am about Jack Nicholas, but, um, I, there, there are a variety of Reese Jones courses. I, you know, I, I, some of the work that his firm has done at Corica park and yeah, it's really good. And, uh, and so it, it shows that that firm is tr- certainly capable of turning out good work that's affordable and, and and so it it it's uh, you know hits me in all the right places. It's good stuff. You know, I'm glad that they did that project, and I'm sure that there's other courses throughout the country um, like that because there's a ton of Reese Jones courses. Yes, but yes, uh, but but yeah, the the high profile restoration work that he's done at some of these venues. You know, uh, in his defense, he was asked to do it. Right. right. Uh, that, that's that's he was doing what he was asked to do. That is a very very solid point. Not all golf architects would have done it. <laughs> you know, some golf architects <laughs> might have said no i'm not going to do that but he said yes um and and he delivered what his client was looking for um and uh, and i think that uh you know right now a lot of that work is being undone right uh gil hans is <laughs> like basically going course to course and, and changing it um and so uh, you know i i wish that the expensive work that was being done at these high profile courses was more permanent it was longer lasting than what got done at them in the 80s and 90s and, and uh, early 2000s. But so it goes. I, I know, know I know. Um, this doesn't really make a lot of sense, and this is a really terrible pun, but does that make Gilhans the clothes doctor? Or, <laughs> I, 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 don't really know. The, I think he's the new open doctor. <laughs> okay, the he's, new open doctor. I mean, okay. he's doing something really interesting where, where he's certainly preparing these courses for a modern major championship. You know, he's worked recently at – Southern Hills. He's doing work right now at Oakland Hills. He's done work at Los Angeles Country Club, which wasn't necessarily geared towards a particular tournament, but LACC is going to be hosting a U.S. Open coming up pretty soon here. Mm-hmm. Many, many other courses coming up. Yeah, especially if you look at the list of PGA Championship venues, there are an awful lot of Gil Hans restoration slash renovations at those courses. Mm-hmm. The restoration part of it is that he is doing historically informed work where he's looking at the archives and, and studying what the course used to be and in trying to build something that's similar to that, um, uh, you know, that, that's something that was not as much of a priority for, for many, many years. At the same time, he's lengthening the courses. He's making them hard, right? They're, they're, they've got to be hard enough. But I think that they're primarily going to be hard around the greens rather than in the fairways or in the tee shot landing zones. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he's doing some renovative work as well. And and so he, he's in this really interesting position where he's seen as somebody who's restoring classic courses, but he's also preparing them for modern tournaments. And he has to, at every course, he has to strike some kind of balance. And I would imagine sometimes he's going to get it exactly right. And other times, maybe not as much. Sure. And and we'll just have to see course by course. But it's it's one of the most interesting 
stories in golf architecture right now, what he's doing at these high profile courses that we're about to see on TV in, in the coming years. Oh. So, uh, so we'll see, but he certainly has it's making has me a lot more excited to watch this the new open doctor. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it, it, there should be some cool stuff now that, you know, who knows what's going to, what the game's going to look like in 2030, you know, honestly, like I can't even imagine, but, um, but they're going to courses where he's worked and we'll see what happens. Yep. Absolutely. So, all right. To steer this thing right back onto the road here, let, let's put a quick little bow on uh, on on the San Diego portion of your, your story here, sure. Garrett. So, um, the other courses that you had mentioned that you uh, you thought were fun and, and worth a, worth a visit if you're down there would be Barona Creek, uh, yep. Coronado Municipal Golf Course, as well as uh, the Darling of SoCal Golf Social Media Goat Hill Park. Um, <laughs> yeah. t- 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 talk to me a little bit about these courses. Barona Creek is uh, an excellent design by Todd Eckenrode, who has done quite a bit of work both uh restoration and renovation work as well as new courses in southern california mm-hmm. um and uh and and he's a, a very smart architect and, and barona creek is a, is a very good course though a slight as i put it in the article a slight stretch price wise for this category of affordable courses right. the the peak rate is 160 dollars. it's not always that expensive but you know it's a casino course and yeah, you know, uh, very uh, sort of impeccably maintained, and um, at least when I played it, and uh, you never know with Southern California courses, given the given the water situation. Yep. But uh, but it's uh, I think that's a, um, a you know high grade of architecture there. Coronado Municipal, which is mostly for me about the location and the vibe, and a couple of holes that are uh, d- that have some real design interest. But that's a stalwart of the San Francisco scene. My understanding is that it's a little hard to get on because so many people want to play it. Yeah. But uh, um, y- you can't do much better than walking along, playing a fun golf course uh, right next to the bay, basically. And and you know, Coronado is this cool little kind of uh, military island off of San Diego that um, that I that I hold closely you know I, I spent some time there when i was growing up and um you know, it's, it's a pretty place and uh, definitely uh, an old standby of the san diego public golf scene and then goat hill park which as you say is a social media darling it's taken on this this uh sheen of hipness uh recently and that can have uh, both good and bad effects but uh you know when when it comes down to it this is a, a great local course that does a wonderful service for its community and, um, you know, it's fun up and down wild terrain, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, simple design and, um, well, just the, the, the whole model of the course is, is just wonderful. Um, there's a free little short course, uh, right, right next to it, the playground. And there, there are so many different things that that course does, you know, aside from necessarily just strictly the architecture that could be emulated elsewhere and, and that I wish were more common. Yeah. I, I, Admittedly, again, this is just one more course in this article that I have not been able to play, but I, I do have a bunch of buddies, uh, some of my closest golf buddies uh, live down in Orange County, and uh, they, yeah. they made a trip down to Goat Hill Park, I want to say maybe six months ago, and they called me afterwards when they were driving back up to Orange County to tell me about it, and they said it's kind of an ass kicker. They said it was much, <laughs> much more difficult than they were uh, than they, than they thought it would be. Yeah, it's true. Okay. Yeah. No, okay. it's not. It, Which is it's, great. It's not, I mean, for the faint. it's not a pushover. Yeah. For sure. I mean, it, it, yeah. It, it, no, the, and it, sometimes it can be really firm out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and, and it's, it's not, not what I call an easy, easy walk. You know, it is called Goat Hill. Right. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, this is what you're expecting. <laughs> I mean, it's part of the character of the place. It, it is kind of a freaky course. <laughs> yep. Um, and, uh, but it's a unique place. You, you don't forget it, I don't think. 
Um, but but yes, it is probably harder than people expect when they look at the scorecard and they and they see basically an executive course. Um, I'm sure that they don't necessarily expect only to, executive and yardage is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Well, uh, I, I know we've been running a little longer, Garrett. So we're we're going to uh, wrap, wrap this thing up here pretty soon. But I got a couple last little questions that I just wanted to ask you, just to get your your take on this before we uh, before we say goodbye. Um, sure. So obviously these are great great locations for anybody listening. If you wanted to take a you know a cup a trip for three or four days, uh, these are all wonderful candidates and great places that Garrett recommends going to. I myself am uh, going to put some some plans in place to try to make a trip down to Ventura to knock all four of your recommendations off a list. Um, uh, but I guess my question to you is if we had done this a little bit differently, let's just say I had removed the word affordable, right? So just sure, accessible yeah. destinations mm-hmm. on the West coast for golf architecture fans. What, what, what sort of places would have then all of a sudden been included? So it still has to have public accessible, good golf, but now the, the, the price concern is sort of removed. What is, is there a couple places that automatically would jump right to the forefront of your mind as places you would absolutely recommend people go to? Before I answer that question, that, that is an interesting question. Um, you know, I, I would imagine that when people are making uh, arranging golf trips to any of these locations, that they would probably be looking at a mixture of affordable and pricier golf yes. courses. And so, you know, when I when I write when I wrote this article, my intention was not to say that this is the golf trip you should take. Though I would pretty much recommend what I wrote for Ventura County. Um, you would probably, if you're going to San Diego, mix in some of the affordable options with some of the more high-end courses that yeah. are available in that area. And, and there are any number of them. And San right? Diego There's... did a great job of that with Barona Creek and, and Torrey Hill uh, mm-hmm. or and Torrey Pines North. So those are mixed in. Yeah, those are pricier options, but they're even kind of more <laughs> upscale things that you could explore there. Sure. And often, you know, modern courses by the likes of your uh, – Tom Fazio's or your Jack Nicholas's and um and again you know not going to judge them in a blanket way they're not they don't tend to be the courses that I enjoy the absolute most in Southern California mm-hmm. but um but those are probably places that you would look at and include on your itinerary if you were actually taking a trip here while also maybe going out to Balboa Park just uh, to check it out so that's what I hope that people can take away from this it's like okay if I'm going to San Diego and I'm going to go to like La Costa or or whatever and and have a nice kind of pampered resort experience which is a wonderful thing to do in San Diego um, and is on offer at at a lot of places you could also say hey you know let's go out and check out Balboa Park let's see what that's like and see how it compares to these more upscale experiences. So that's what I hope people take away from it as opposed to using it as a strict vacation guide. But, um, what locations would I factor in if, uh, non affordable courses, so to speak, uh, were, uh, options, obviously, let's let's say the budget is uh, quadrupled, right? You got a little bit more freedom. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Monterey, you know, yeah, that, 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 <laughs> I almost on the list. Like I, I almost included the affordable courses in Monterey, mm-hmm. the Monterey area on this list. I lived in Monterey for four years mm-hmm. and know the golf scene very well. And, uh, and there are some cool affordable courses there. You, you probably know about Pacific Grove and, and that place is just amazing. Uh, that back nine is, uh, it's just some of the best golf that you'll ever play anywhere. Um, and, uh, and then Monterey Pines is cool. <laughs> like, uh, I think we talked about Monterey Pines a little bit on our last podcast yeah. together because we we're, I interviewed the superintendent there who That's I think right. does an amazing job. A lot of people would recommend in Monterey Bayonet and Black Horse as a public accessible option. It's, uh, you know, 
not a I don't like those courses as much as some other people do. Yeah, they're, they're not my favorites, but uh, but a lot of people do like them. Um, but then, you know, obviously, then you have the Pebble Beach Resort experience. Uh, there are some private courses that you could probably get on in the area as long as you're, you know, if you get on Cypress Point, then good for you. But there are other <laughs> uh, private courses that uh, uh, in the area that might be feasible for people. And, and yeah. you could, you know, if you have some money to spend, hard to imagine a, a better California golf destination than good old Monterey. Yeah. And if you're sticking on the uh, the affordable one, if, if we put our original rules back in place, I, I think would you hit the hit the nail on the head? If you go to Monterey for a long weekend, I, I know a golf trip that me and some buddies did actually my senior year of college when we were actually but we wanted to go to Monterey on a golf trip. We did Monterey Pines, Pacific Grove, and then we splurged a little bit and played Del Monte for for yeah. for a long weekend, and it was as fun of a golf trip as I've ever taken. So it, it is possible to do Monterey. Not on a you know on a five star budget, so that, that that's really well said. And you're in Monterey, and you're in Monterey. Um, yeah, exactly. That's a it's a good place to be. Um, and you know, if if I were to arrange the a type of itinerary like the one that you're talking about, I would consider Poppy Hills. Yes. Which um you know if you if you use different tea time apps or or hit at the right time or pair up with a local you can get a really good rate at Poppy Hills. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not, not the kind of $300, $400 that, that range that you're expecting when you get inside the Pebble Beach gates at a lot of places, more like right around 100 Um And that is, since it's renovation by Robert Trent Jones Jr., who is renovating his own design. Uh, but uh, <laughs> nonetheless, the firm did great work. It's, it's a really, really good golf yeah, course. they did a great um, job. And better than people know because it, it's reputation before was not very good and i think for good reason but they completely transformed that course and it is better than you would expect absolutely would 100 percent agree um other than monterey anywhere else off the top of your head that that comes to mind that would be a, a fun place if, if if price was not a concern geez off the top of my head i guess la you know would be probably the next place i'd go if you're going to be spending a little bit more because once you get up into that upper price bracket options tend to open up in the LA area and then there are also some cool municipal courses in that area that you could mix in uh Santa Anita golf course uh, as an affordable option is is really really interesting it's maybe not very well taken care of but um it's hard to think of a more fascinating kind of late golden age construction project than Santa Anita um, San Clemente Muni is an old standby, so great course. Love um, San Clemente Muni. Yeah, uh, and then uh, and then you know uh, uh, Ben Brown's out in Laguna Beach uh, is is fun. Uh, you can't get a better location than that, or you know, place to go for a morning and then have a breakfast burrito afterwards. That, that's uh, that that's that's a fun one. And so then and then you could mix in your your Pelican Hills and you know uh, all sorts of stuff in the LA area that uh, would become options. Yeah. You know, aside from that, I think those are the locations I'd focus on. You know, uh, you know, I'd, I because there are a lot of places that you could go in the inland Pacific Northwest, like uh, Gamble Sands and Wine Valley and Sylvie's Valley Ranch. But if you were to do those three places, you would do about. I'd imagine 10 to 12 hours of driving. Yeah, I, I looked it up on a map. I think from Gamble Sands to Sylvie's is about eight hours. Yeah, okay. So that, yeah, that's a lot of driving. It's a lot of driving. But, and, and, and you're uh, not really close to any golf courses. courses. Yes. <laughs> like, like, uh, yeah. I've been considering uh, those, those three places. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you, Garrett. I've been considering and trying to toy with the idea of possibly putting together a trip for some buddies where, you know, we do 
those exact you know kind of three golf courses. And by the way, yeah. as I was doing a little research for that trip, I didn't realize that Walla Walla Country Club, which is also close to Wine Valley, uh, renovated by Tillinghouse at some point as well. Yeah. So there's another little you know tasty treat you could. I, again, I don't know how much of it is a Tillinghouse, but there, there's a lot right. of good golf in places that you just would never. Never realized, right. and I think that was the coolest part about your story is that uh, it, it just kind of reminded all of us that there's great golf to be played, even at an affordable price point, all over the place here on the West Coast, which is uh, which is really awesome. Great, I mean, not, cool. not as well, abundant as it could be, but yeah. Awesome. Hey, thank you, thank you, Kyle. I appreciate it. That's that's what I'm that's what I'm hoping to do. Hoping to just, you know, maybe there's a few places people don't know about, or a few places that they kind of remember playing at one point, but would like to revisit, um, and uh, and I hope that they. Uh, they get that out of the article. Yep. Uh, so thanks for giving me the opportunity to write it. Absolutely, man. Well, hey, so before we, we say goodbye, uh, I, I just want to give you an opportunity, Garrett. I, I know that I was actually just listening to uh, the School of Architecture podcast with Riley Johns uh, You know, this morning. I, I really, really enjoyed uh, that series that you guys have been doing. Is uh, Do you mind plugging uh, the Friday? What, what are some other stuff that you and Andy and uh, the good, good people at the Friday are doing right now? Because you guys got a lot of cool content coming out. So we're, well, thank you for that. We're working on all sorts of stuff right now. You know, this, when there's no professional golf through this crisis, this is actually okay for us because we're, we're not really tied to pro golf. We write a lot about golf course architecture and about the, just the game generally and uh, are enjoying the opportunity to look into different ideas, even if we aren't necessarily enjoying the world's condition at the moment um, and are looking forward to a return to normalcy. Sure. But um, a couple of the things to keep your eye on for the fried egg would be the fried egg podcast. Uh, you know, we're, we're continuing to put out episodes of that interviews, long form interviews with various interesting people in the golf industry. And I've been working on some more kind of formal uh, scripted podcasts, documentary podcasts and you know, more kind of structured conversations for that. Uh, and so those episodes have been coming up periodically as well. So the fried egg podcast is kind of transforming in some ways. Uh, Andy Johnson and um, Brendan uh, Porath are still keeping up the shotgun start, which which I think is just a wonderfully entertaining and mm -hmm. funny uh, podcast that's you know, all about uh, kind of professional golf. But, uh, you know, they, they can do these deep dives into history that are, that are really fun. Um, we've got a newsletter that comes out three days a week that our, um, uh, that our newest employee, Will Knights is writing and he does a great job with. Um, and so those are the things to keep an eye on, you know, check us out at the friday.com. A lot of it is, is there. Um, and so, uh, you know, we just got done for instance on the website with a list of, you know, if you're interested in this conversation, we did a list of what we call the must sees of public golf architecture in America. Mm -hmm. And we're putting that list on hiatus right now because we just need to go see some other courses. We've kind of run through the ones that we've seen, but right now we have 57 courses on, on that list that we think you really should see and you can play. Yeah. Um, and actually so, a, a few of those yeah. on, on your list in the story as well. There's a little bit of crossover. Exactly. Yeah. Quite, quite a bit of crossover. Mm -hmm. That's, that's no coincidence. And, um, you know, uh, so, uh, we, we're, we're doing a lot of different things and, um, and we hope that uh, people are enjoying it. I, well, I can tell you this, this guy is definitely enjoying it. I, I'm kind of tending to view it as sort of, I'm pretending as if this is the winter time and I don't live in California where right. it's like, you know, you're, you're looking for content that's getting you really excited for when golf does finally start back up again. And I yeah. think, the kind of evergreen content that you guys have been putting out has uh, has certainly uh, filled that role for me. So I, I hope it's doing the same for a lot of other people as well. Um, I appreciate it. Thank uh, you. Other than that, Garrett, thank you so much for the time, man. I, I've really, uh, as always, I always enjoy our conversations, and uh, this was really cool. I'm, I'm excited to put this one out. And, uh, yeah, I think people are really going to enjoy it. And my hope is that this inspires 
uh, more than a few people listening or reading your story in the magazine to uh, possibly get out and uh, go on a golf trip to Ventura or go to the Oregon coast or, you know, head down to San Diego with golf at the forefront of your plans as opposed to just going to hang out to the beach. Because uh, not that the beach is bad, but there's just so much good golf everywhere. I hope people get to go yeah. enjoy it. And check out Pacific Coast Golf Guide. It's a really well put together magazine. Just got my copy. So, nice, nice. Um, thank you for enjoy that. Enjoy it a lot. Awesome. Perfect. Well, Garrett, thank you so much for your time, man. I really appreciate it. And uh, I hope I get a chance to talk to you again soon. Yeah, for sure. Thank right. you. Thanks, Garrett. Another huge thank you to Garrett uh, for taking the time to do this interview. That was awesome. Very informative, fun discussion. Uh, and also wanted to give all of you guys one last reminder that if you want to get your hands on Volume 23 of Pacific Coast Golf Guide, visit Golf Guide. Dot net. Go to info products and make a $5 donation to our COVID relief fund. That gets you a copy of the magazine while also supporting Glen Eagles Golf Course in San Francisco as well as the Bandon Caddy Relief Fund. So with that, thank you so much, everybody. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Highly Technical Golf Talk, and we will be back soon. Take care.